Reset the podcast is brought to you in association with Liars, the non-alcoholic spirits brand. Whether it's low alcohol or no alcohol, Liars helps you enjoy your classic favourite cocktails. Hello everyone, my name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energised starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. We had such great feedback from Rausch Beck's last conversation with me on the themes from his book, Building Corporate Soul, that in this week's episode of Reset the Podcast, he and I discuss his new book, Beyond the Startup. Ralph and I share as two entrepreneurs our learnings around the importance of creating strong teamwork, particularly within a global corporation, whilst maintaining that important community feeling finding a business on a common purpose and objectives in times of growth. Our discussion, I think, shares real tips and tools to help bring this topic to life and will sure to help you, I think, as a leader, think more strategically about the important skills such as role modelling, delegation and empowering your people and uniting everyone as one team, all while leaving space to think and act creatively. This is certainly an episode which will help you think more broadly and bravely about being a leader and building a culture. Ralph, welcome back. How are you? Okay, it's nice to be back. It was such a short time, right? I know, but you've been very busy because you've just just launched your next book, Hot on the Heels, of our last conversation. And because, you know, loads of people are so fascinated about cultures at the workplace, your new book, uh, Beyond the Startup, um, launches this week. And we're also going to be at the Power Up Festival on May the 19th. So it felt like a really good opportunity to have a conversation so people can have a bit of an understanding about what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like full circle, isn't it? I mean, building corporate soul to me was uh, writing about the philosophy of, of how to create a, a company with great culture and uh, beyond the startup actually is what I would call the application in what we did when we when we did Spark 44, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, let's, let's uh, you know, remind those people that uh, perhaps haven't listened to the last podcast or listened to it a few weeks ago, um, Spark 44 was the agency in partnership with um, uh, the car manufacturer, and you can talk a little bit about that. And just give us a little bit of a feel about when you went Spark 44 and what that agency was and why it was so unique in the market. And then we'll talk about the next phase. Yes. So people who know me know that my advertising career was like 22 years with McCann Erickson in, in, in various regional, global, local <clears throat> functions. And um, I was just returning from um, from the Ken World Group conference in San Francisco back in I think October 2010, and like like three days later, the phone rang in one of our of the evenings, and and uh, I looked at the um, at the display and said, "Oh, Steve Wolford. Okay, I haven't talked to Steve for a while, um, and for a while meant probably seven eight years, and so." <clears throat> Steve was up there and uh, Steve and I had worked together when he was running Xentropy for IPG and I was running the uh, General Motors account in Europe. And uh, we did some good work together at the time. And um, he said, you know what, I've been uh, consulting with Jaguar and Land Rover and I'm tasked to set up a joint venture agency. Would you be interested? And uh, are you you joking or is is this real or what do you think? No, 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 it's real too. And uh, and I said, okay, well, <clears throat> then tell me a bit about it. So he told me, gave me a bit of background, and and uh, I said, well, I mean, is this really real? And uh, and he said, yeah, it's real. And I said, can you send me a business plan? 
Of course, of course. And uh, so like an hour later, I got a business plan and over the weekend I looked at it and then we had a few conversations and I said basically, well, I think let's, let's do this, right? And uh, so he asked a few people that he knew, uh, like Alistair Duncan from his time at MRM uh, at the time in the UK, um, who then brought in Alistair Cook, who sadly passed away um, uh, just, just a few months away. And I brought in Werner from, uh, from Germany and Steve brought in Bruce. And that was the six of us who basically set, set the agency up. And, so it uh, was a very um, multinational, multicultural agency from the start, wasn't it? Because I think it's interesting, isn't it? Very few, well, you know, there's very few joint ventures with clients anyway, um, like you've done at Spark 44, but also there's very few truly kind of international agencies that start from the kind of get-go yeah i mean we obviously had to um, start as a global agency because yeah. the assignment was global so we had to do this and um we we had to deal with a huge constraint you can imagine right i mean a when we when i received that call in october there was no such agency right there was a concept and there was an idea and it was an excel spreadsheet and, and a few mm. few documents but nothing real and um, fast forward into February, when we got the green light, the, um, well, we, we then went to London and, and uh, Alison Duncan had <coughs> organized a, a room from a befriended agency, which we used for the day and said, okay, okay, now we really have to do this, right? <laughs> yeah. So and just give us a bit of a, get, Ralph, give us a bit of a perspective on, you know, the size of the business, the number of people you had to employ in, say, the first six months and the kind of money. Because I think, you know, most startups, if I, you know, I think I've always started a startup from nothing. Um, and it starts very small. And then it's about, you know, how quickly can you get it to grow? And when do you take the investment? It's very different when you've got a kind of big, not even a founding client, a, a joint partner of the size of Jaguar Land Rover. So yeah. can you just give us a bit of a feel for that? Yeah, so um, when we went into that agency in, in, in London for that conversation, we said, okay, now we've just come out of a meeting where we agreed that a global agency is up and running in three and a half months, and we need four offices and probably 80 people, because that was kind of the staffing plan that we sold. And it's an interesting experience if you... Um, uh, if you start hi hiring for an agency that doesn't exist, that doesn't have any offices, mm -hmm. um, and just has an anchor client, which is their joint venture partner, which obviously um, helped. So from the get-go, it was four offices, LA, London, Frankfurt, and Shanghai. Shanghai was a partner agency in the beginning, and um, and 80 people. And, and uh, so by definition, it was a global agency. And by definition, uh, 80 people in four, in four locations means that you can't have every function everywhere. So uh, the constraint actually, I think, became a big, um, uh, a big, big uh, advantage because um, that constraint required people to work together and uh, we needed to staff complementary roles in the four offices. So if you didn't have that function in London, you had to work with the guy in Frankfurt or in, 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 in LA. Uh, and that created a sense of collaboration that I think was very, very unique. Yeah. And uh, I think helped a lot to make this a very uh, inspired community because everybody was there for a reason. Um, yes. the, the Jaguar brand, so a compelling purpose. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and obviously we started with 80 people. First three years, um, actually, um, uh, we focused on Jaguar because the agreement we had was uh, we'd open the agency up for other clients, but uh, we obviously make sure that the Jaguar piece of business is sorted out first. And yeah. uh, roughly after two and a half years, we agreed that this was the case. And we said, well, now we can open, open, it, open it up. And then JLR basically said, we think so too. Why don't you take on Land Rover? And uh, that was- uh, Which I remember because that's the bit that we were involved in, which was Absolutely. really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Just talk to me then a little bit about how you felt, because, um, you know, I'm sure there's lots of emotions going on, but actually just even the resilience that you need to be able to build a, a company that quickly on a global scale. And, you know, I've found at various times in my career where I'm trying to employ quite a lot of people and I'm trying to run the business and it's relatively new. How do you manage that and how do you manage your kind of personal resilience to be able to do that? In hindsight, you often wonder how you did it. Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. Because, because I think the moment when things get back to a, a business as usual or a normal uh, phase and you have employed all these people and, and they're doing a lot of the things that you've done before, you often come back home and think like, okay, so like three months ago, he wasn't here and she wasn't there and so on yeah. and so forth. And but how did you do it? Um, I think you're 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 in kind of a tunnel. You you um, you're, you're so uh, focused on, on on finding the right solution um, that actually that makes you do things faster and 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 uh, and, and, and better probably. Um, and obviously, you, you you've got one advantage: you don't have to uh, um, align with too many people um, because there, there just aren't that many people. You just have to align with yourself and and, and talk to your your fellow partners. But um, in reality, I think uh, it's 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 a stretch. And and in hindsight, I think you you know from from your experiences, and and I, and I, I can surely tell it, it's been a stretch. Um, but I, will, I wouldn't want to miss a thing, uh, actually, because the experience of doing it and the experience of um, like the, the reward from the people whose careers you've been able to influence and, and who are grateful and who, who look at you. I mean, I was um, uh, at, a, at an event last week here, here in, uh, in Frankfurt at the Marketing Club. <clears throat> together with Interbrand, and we basically talked about um, the Building Corporate Soul book, but also the Beyond the Startup book. And, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of my first colleagues, uh, actually the, 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 the lady who signed the first uh, employment contract with Spark 44, was also coming to Ah, nice. And, and so we were, we were having this, this general debate about corporate culture, and then people asked questions and uh, at one point, somebody asked, how did you do that? And I said, well, perhaps Sadia can answer that question because um, she's been there from, from, from day one. And this is like 10 years later, and, 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 and she was still smiling, and, and uh, she was so full of, um, mm. of um, well, passion for, for what was done. And, and I think the point that she made was, um, this was an, uh, an agency that created an environment of trust um, that for any business uh, is important, that here it was like second to none because people knew they could trust each other and people knew that they were trusted. Yeah. Uh, and she reminded me that, that at one point as I asked her whether, um, because she was um, fluent in, in Farsi, uh, whether she would be uh, able to spend like three, four months in Dubai with the, with the team because we had some challenges in the Middle East and and, uh, and and she took the opportunity and for her it was a great experience. Uh, it helped the business. Yeah. It helped her personally. It helped us all, helped everyone have helped the client. So uh, creating these win-win situations uh, in an international environment, I think is, is, is largely rewarding. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, um, Ian Armstrong, who was one of your clients um, on the Jaguar side, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, he dropped me a note the other day and just went, oh, yeah, I want to come and see Ralph, um, you know, and he, he left a little while ago, actually probably a similar time to you, I, I think. Um, but, you know, that, that bond he was talking to me about, the kind of trust, the way that the businesses work together and, you know, through some really good times, but also some challenging times from an automotive market. Um, you know, and for me, that's a really great sign, isn't it, where you've got you know, clients still wanting to, to hear the story and be part of that shows the real strength of the relationship, I think. Yeah, and, and obviously Ian was, I mean, I think Ian arrived, I mean, we started in June and I think Ian arrived in July or August. So like pretty much we were hardly there and he hadn't yet arrived. And I still remember there was a, it was a management meeting and I think it was his first or second day, uh, something like that. And, and uh, 
there was an awkward situation because uh, <laughs> I was asked to brief him on, on, on the business. And uh, I thought, well, that's interesting because I've only been on the business for three weeks. <laughs> so, so that was really funny. But no, but, but, but joking aside, I think um, um, the trust element is, is a critical uh, mm. element. And, and we could, not, could have never done this um, without the trust from uh, Adrian Hallmark, who um, was the uh, 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 brand director for Jaguar at the time. Um, he embraced it fully, um, and um, and I think he quoted in, him in the book about the um, also the, the situations that he had to overcome uh, in, internally because uh, obviously when you bring up such a revolutionary idea, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's and easy to find of people who are against it, right? Yeah, because I think, you know, that's the bit that's hard. I think there's two areas I'd like to explore is, is, is how do you, how did Adrian deal with it internally when you've got some really tricky areas to navigate? You know, it's still a, it's, it's still a big corporate. It's got a lot of, you know, I've worked, worked on off with um, Jaguar Land Rover over the years as well. And, it, you know, it, it, it is a brilliant company in many ways, but it's a big corporate and it doesn't always move at the pace you want it to. Um, how did you work with him to Adrian to people like Ian to, to help them navigate? Where were the real pinch points? Well, I mean, we basically um, created a shared agenda uh, amongst the three of us. Um, um, Adrian was always very clear. Um, I mean, we always talked about better, faster, cheaper. And he said, yeah, I want it all and I want it quickly. Um, and uh, so our benchmark was creating better work um, much, much faster. Um, and that's actually where our global setup helped a lot because um, compared to a corporate environment um, and based on the, on the single PNL we were operating um, with, it was very, very easy actually to align people on our end. And aligning people on our end uh, ensured that we had the eyes and ears in all the markets, which actually helped Ian a lot and then helped Adrian uh, a lot to ensure that um, uh, where there were alignment issues, they could be fixed quickly. And that's usually one of the, one of the issues that in these relationships uh, take a lot of time and very often you can't really solve because nobody has the as the, um, the, the lever to, to actually um, make them work. Mm. Yeah, and I think, you know, so when we did the evaluation of their current model and what you could offer and how it could all fit together, and, you know, I remember spending some time with the teams um, looking at this, and the better, faster, cheaper piece was right at the middle. I, I think one of my observations was that you were – good with people and culture, obviously, and that's the most important piece, and we'll come back and talk a bit more about that, but also you really invested in technology. You were driven by some really forward thinking to make things better, well, certainly faster and cheaper. I think our question mark was, would they be better than what they had? Could they be better than other agencies? And I think the surprise, certainly for me at the time, was yes, you could. Um, so I, I'm fascinated from your, you know, what were you doing to, to enable this to happen? I think we did, we started with a blank sheet of paper, which always is, a, is, a, is, a, is an asset. Um, and, yeah. and we had um, people in the, in, the, in the founding team that actually knew their game. And so... Um, and, and all of us were coming from slightly different backgrounds. So it was very complementary when we were discussing the initial uh, challenges in the, in, the market, uh, in the budget allocation models and, and uh, market allocation uh, uh, areas. Uh, it was not too difficult for us to actually identify the issues. Um, and, and Adrian was uh, strong enough to actually um, embrace those and, and, and make the necessary changes. So it was clear because at the time, <clears throat> and this was like 2011, right? Yeah. Um, one of the most important things that had to 
happen quickly was um, uh, a proper digital ecosystem and, and, and a proper website. At the time, there was not even a, a car configurator for Jaguar, if you remember. And so uh, we, we really put a lot of effort on, on in the first 15 months to, to get this right. Um, and obviously, 15 months can be a long, long time until, until something's ready. But uh, there was this one moment, and I still remember being in the London office at the da- at, uh, that day when the, when the team came back from um, the, uh, the session where all automotive marketers were basically uh, exposed to the um, results of the websites because they, they just have that every quarter, right? And uh, one of the team leaders was immensely proud because she, she said, you know what? There was this one moment um, when we went through these 20, 20 categories where uh, the, the brands were ranked. And at the 18th category, the Audi marketing director stood up and said, I can't stand this anymore. Is there any category where Jaguar isn't number one? <laughs> and, uh, and, and that basically said it all. And, and this was like the, the huge reward for everyone who really spent months and months and months um, on it. But then again, we focused on, uh, on, on, on creativity and, and, and Adrian was a great uh, supporter of that and, and demanded it. And Ian, obviously, perfect uh, in terms of, uh, um, well, creating an environment uh, where the agency could uh, actually develop these kinds of things. Because as we all know, great work requires a great agency, of course, but, but any great agency without a great client never works. Mm-hmm. And so um, you can you can see from um, the first FE that we got for the Good to Be Bad uh, work and, and then the one in China. <clears throat> and then finally, the one for the Dragon Challenge in um, uh, with with Range Rover Sport um, uh, in in the US. Um, I mean, Jaguar never won an FE before, and Land Rover never won an FE before. So um, the website has always been the top uh, three in China and and and, and lots of industry first. So mm-hmm. I think the the better um, was was a, was a, was a mm-hmm. Or a paradigm that we always yeah. look at. And I, can, and I absolutely can see that. I think the thing that we, I wonder how you also manage this because, and I guess because you have to begin with one client, you didn't have to do the thing that, you know, lots of agencies have to do, which is be very loud in the marketplace, you know, market themselves, be out there hustling for new business. Um, and so in many ways, you were kind of like an industry best kept secret. You know, I think very few people could go, how many people and what are they doing? And I think there was also for a time um, that slightly, uh, which, again, is, I think, a bad side of the industry. And and I've seen it over the years because I came from both an advertising, but a kind of digital below the line background, which was is that slight snobbiness around. Well, it's fine because Spark 44 can do production, they can do digital, but they can't do proper advertising. They can't do the kind of big TV stuff because they're not really creative enough. And that's not the thing that they can do. And they don't really, you know, make a difference in the marketplace because they're not a big advertising driven agency. Um, How did you deal with that? And did that piss you off? I think the flip side of being the best kept secret and, and, and being very discreet uh, from an internal perspective has been we didn't really bother too much <laughs> um, yeah. because, because we were focused on what we were doing and um, um, well, we didn't do much PR and we didn't read much um, uh, PR actually because we were so busy doing the things we were doing. Um, but, uh, and, and I think that's kudos to both Adrian and, and, and Andy Goss in the US at the time, um, with the launch of F-Type, it was clear that, and, and, and he goes always called these things the seismic moments, um, we, needed, we needed a seismic moment. And uh, so he said, you know what, um, we're going to book um, the Super Bowl. And as we all know, you can't go to the Super Bowl with mediocre advertising. So um, it's been very, very clear that this had to be like the top-notch piece of work. And uh, obviously, Good To Be Bad delivered exactly that, and that's why we got the blow Leffy for it um, uh, at the time. So <clears throat> uh, I think the, 
um, what what I learned from many people once that happened was okay. Well, we never thought you could do this and deliver these. Congratulations. But what we we're really surprised about was the in-depth um, um, uh, exploitation of, of that idea across all channels, and uh, that was I think that that was also what got us the the global FE because this was extremely unique and it, it, it and it happened globally. And again, that um, is something you can only do when when you when when you when you're going to find a partner who's fully behind you and um, and you can imagine i mean if if uh, i mean if you get up with a line that is that that says good to be bad <laughs> and you're talking about a luxury or premium luxury uh, brand you can imagine what kind of discussions you are having because that's not the oh yes that's, let's let's do this it's perfect why has nobody ever come up come up with that before that's not what what happens. That's not what what is happening. So, um, defending the, that that idea uh, in, in markets around the world has been uh, has been quite a ride. But uh, <laughs> and obviously, when when it, when it happens and everybody uh, sees the success, it's like yes, of course, success is many fathers. So, um, yeah, uh, here we go. Yeah. No. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. Exactly. Which is. Um, yeah, it's always a case, isn't it? It is always a case. How much of, because so often when you're trying to get a big campaign like that going forward, moving forward, um, it's as much, obviously the client has to do a lot of that internal. Was it was it a sort of tag team between both of you, partly because you were, you know, because of the, the, the way that the agency and the client was set up? Did you do that together to make it... Get through everyone and all the all the challenges. Well, there was huge collaboration, um, especially with 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 with, uh, with Ian and, and and Dominic and Anthony um, yeah. uh, later on. The and there was a shared attempt for the very best solution. And um, I'll, I'll give you an example because <clears throat> obviously when you're talking about a global organization, and like I don't remember how many markets that all have a say and have a have a have a have, a, have an idea and have a thought, mm. is very very difficult to ensure that a great uh, idea survives the very those very meetings. And um, at one point, um, we got into such a situation where it was really really difficult to get great ideas through through the system, and. Uh, so we said, well, what we need, we need to do find a different way. And once a year, we always had a management conference, which was like 70, 80 people. Um, and we said to, um, to the JLR clients at the time, now, here's an idea. We invite you for whatever, day three of the, of the meeting. <clears throat> so we've, we've got all our stuff sorted. And on day three, you come along and... Um, like three or four weeks before the meeting, we agree on briefs. Um, and we get these briefs out to all the agencies. It's always like three agencies on one brief. And um, you can pick anything. There's no extra fee or anything for, for, for the idea generation. <clears throat> but you have to bring the money to produce at least one of them. And... Um, I can stand. Yeah. And so the first one <clears throat> um, uh, happened and, and we had the whole crowd there and everybody was presenting and it was really- And was this all for the F-type? Was it all for the- No, 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 no that was after, that was after. Oh, okay. But there's a, it's, it's a, it's one of the results, well, first of all, there were like 16 or 17 great presentations and everybody gave their, their best and was, was, was perfect and there was applause all the way through. And instead of one campaign that I think got, got, got Produce, I think five or six got produced um, because there was so much uh, creative power, and it, a it also allowed people from markets that were never really involved in in, in those uh, creative um, preparations. Like South Africa did a great piece of work on on on, on, on a rugby initiative, but the one piece <clears throat> that uh, actually made it and made the cut, and I think when I left, it was still the probably still is. 
um, the best performing Land Rover piece of work on YouTube of all time. This is the speed bump uh, commercial with the Evoke that uh, was trying, well, showing capability in a, in a, in a city environment in a very, uh, very funny way. And uh, so what you need is obviously an agreement with clients to find ways to, yeah. um, uh, to, to reward creativity outside the, um, the, the, the corporate environment, um, if you like, and surprise everyone. And obviously at the time, you, could, you know, uh, this has changed probably a bit like uh, in the meantime, everything that was TV, like everybody had to talk about it, everything that was social media, yeah, yeah, yeah you just do the film. So yeah, yeah. obviously um, we, we leveraged that opportunity um, uh, uh, as well. But, and, and as we're talking startups, the, the, the cultural um, impact uh, of, of programs like this is so critical. And, and, and you know this from, from your work with, with other organizations outside agencies to, to, um, to develop a corporate culture in a way that you get to an inspired community requires you to code certain events, certain activities, so that people can recognize them, can talk about them, can reference uh, them, relate to, uh, to them, celebrate them. And that is something that uh, I think um, uh, many companies can, can learn from, because uh, especially when you're small, you need to set the, those up. And we're now talking a lot about hybrid um, uh, work forms and working from home and all of, all of these things. I mean, when we had these 80 people in the beginning, Yes, we had those four offices, but we had, we were present in literally every market around the world that we had to be present in. So there were like 15 people who were on their own in their market. So mm -hmm. imagine you're the one person in Japan and, okay, Ralph comes along for a visit once a year, perhaps twice, uh, and then you're invited to one session in London or Frankfurt or, or wherever. That makes you basically 98% of the year be on your own. Yeah. So you need to find a way um, as, as the management of the, of the company to uh, actually make sure that these people are really connected to your purpose. They're really connected to your cause. Um, and they always have find someone with an open ear for their issues and somebody to help. And this attitude, I think, was what actually allowed us to establish that, that community. So when the Land Rover business came, and I remember Steve and I were having this conversation. He said, should we really do this? And I said, well, should we not yeah. do this? Yeah, exactly. It's so and, interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, both uh, Oyster Catchers and now Let's Reset, I, it's a very different model because obviously a consultancy model, but um, I built the business with a number of, you know, full-time consultants and senior people, but also a number of really brilliant specialists that work for us, but they also work you know, predominantly on their own, actually. Um, and creating a community where they feel part of what we are um, has been so important. And actually, one of the things that I found from creating the Oyster Catchers Club all those years ago was getting the consultants to come along and be part of that and feel ownership for our business, as well as all the things that, you know, other people do. So, you know, the check-ins and the time together and, and, and exactly the same way. Often they'd work on their own for a lot of the time. And our Let's Reset specialists, they really only work on their own or with us. And so I want it to be a really joyful experience. I want them to be able to do things they can't do on their own, you know, be able to, you know, there's got to be a benefit, hasn't there, to be part of an organization, even if you're not there full time. Uh, that you get the kind of best of both worlds. And so our Power Up Festival is one of those occasions where lots of our consultants will come and be part of that, as well as you know, our friends, our clients, people we admire in the industry. I think it's a, you know, for me, it's always been an important moment to really gel the culture of the business you're trying to grow. Otherwise, it's sort of meaningless. Yeah, and it's these moments... When, and I, <clears throat> I can only imagine, and you will tell me when we when we meet up in, in a few weeks. Um, but but uh, I can only imagine that that uh, 
once once people are coming into the room and the, and the conversations are happening, the presentations are happening, the discussions are happening, and the, and the breaks, these the, the, the informal um, uh, pieces, you're busy, 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 but at the same time you're enjoying immensely, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah, and that, of course. And that's kind of when when when. Uh, uh, I mean, I collected as many air miles as I would never have thought I would collect, but um, and I still got, got, got most of them because you couldn't use them in last time. I know, I know. But but, um, but actually, um, connecting people and um, providing people with 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 opportunities to grow has been just immensely uh, rewarding. And and as I mentioned, when when we had this opportunity to grow the business. Again, like remember, I talked about in February, we got the agreement that we had to get ready for June. This time was like in March, the um, uh, the, the decision was taken to move the level of business and that had to be ready by also, for, I think, the 1st of July. So again, three months. And um, so we had to build 12 new offices in three months. And um, the only reason why that was possible was because of the, the the power of the people we had in those remote places uh, who had already been with us two and a half years. So they knew how we were operating. They knew the culture. They knew the soul of Spark44. And they were uh, basically all becoming the MDs of these offices. And, uh, and, and that was the hugest lever to ensure that the culture would, uh, would stay. It was actually the most difficult in the bigger agencies like London and Birmingham. Um, because uh, all of a sudden you had like, I don't know, a uh, hundred additional people within a month. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just, mean, just the onboarding of it is so hard, isn't it? Um, so if people get the book, read mm -hmm. the book, what um, what is beyond the startup? What's the kind of style and structure of the book um, for people to read? Well, the structure of the book is, uh, besides the fact that Ian Armstrong wrote the foreword, which obviously <laughs> made, made me immensely proud, yeah. it talks about all the, all the things that when you um, when you get into the startup uh, uh, environment <clears throat> um, and you're getting through your first few steps, uh, and it really gets real. So you're beyond the angel money, and 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 you're getting into seed money, and and um, you're getting into stage two, three, four, um, and scaling, because that's the part, obviously, where, where it's, this, that, which is the hardest, and, and, and yeah. many, many fail, because it's very, very difficult if you run a company with like 10 people, um, and then it becomes 20, and then six months later, it's 40, and, and another six months later is 100. Um, and and when do you stop? Or how long? For how long do you engage yourself, or you take responsibility? And when do you just um, uh, um, share responsibilities and, and 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 set up proper 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 organizational uh, systems? And when you do that, how do you make sure that the spirit doesn't get lost? Remember, when when, when we talked about building corporate soul in the shared understanding bit, I've always talked about the mission, vision, values, and spirit. And, and spirit, as I defined it, was the intentional culture that you want to see in your company. And obviously one of the hardest things, uh, and, and I think we've all been there, you've seen it, I've seen it, everybody who's done it see, has seen it, uh, when things don't happen the way you think they should happen, not in a, in a micro environment, but, but in macro uh, view, you're like, Why don't these people get it? Why does he not get it? Why is she doing this? And very often, the reason why she's doing it or he's doing it is because they don't know. Nobody's told them. Yeah. So the amount of time that it takes to uh, ensure that everybody gets on the bus is huge. It's a huge communication task, and you always have to be the role model. And the book basically talks about how you do that, uh, what kind of practices you can Uh, offer how you can leverage your people um, mm. because that's one chapter in the book it's it's about what the power of people brings to any place 
Um, because I'm, I'm a strong believer of the idea that anybody who goes to work in the morning usually wants to do a good job and wants to do something better. I haven't yeah. heard, seen anybody who, who's, who's going to work to say, oh, um, that's going to be going to be not good today. Yeah. So, no, I completely agree, Ralph. Although I think the one thing I would, and, and probably a better leader than I am, but um, the one thing I would recognise of myself over the, the years that I've been running and building businesses, and, and I have heard from lots of other kind of entrepreneurial businesses and scale-ups, is that when the people are wrong, um, even more than the clients really, that I have definitely been too slow to get rid of them. I kind of hang on to people and go, I'm sure they'll improve or I'm massively loyal because they've been very loyal to me and I know that they're not good enough or they know that they're wrong for this part of the journey. But I, I, I take too long and I, I, you know, and I'm always cross with myself and I can't quite do that. How did you deal with that? Well, I mean, we've, it's the same thing. And, and there's the... In the other book I've, I've quoted, Dr. Dr. Cameron Sepa, who's, uh, mm. we had a conversation the other day about it because I was commenting on one of his posts. And uh, um, in the book, it's called The Asshole Matrix. Yeah. It's basically a, um, a matrix that gives you an idea of how to deal with whom, uh, depending on their behavior and values. So he said, well, the academic title is values behavior matrix. And I said, well, that's great, but everybody that I'm talking to who's read the book tells me about the astral metrics they all liked. So, um, but what it basically says is um, there are um, they're great people um, and they might be competent or they might be incompetent and they're not so great people and they might be competent or not inc or incompetent. You got these four quadrants, and 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 you know where you have to act fast, but it is so difficult, is it? Because very often there's like, oh, but in, in an agency world, well, but, but the client relationship is like this, and 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 I mean, I remember one situation we, in the very early days of the of the setup, we hired someone, and it was a mistake, and it was clear that it was a mistake, like three four weeks after the person joined. And he was supposed to run an office, and um, or he was running an office, but it became clear that this was not going to happen for a long, long time. Um, the tricky bit was he was a recommendation from one of our clients, and um, right. so I was like, okay, so how do we manage this? <laughs> and yeah. um, and and like in most things in life, the best thing is you, you you put the truth on the table and you have have a have a have a one on one conversation. I had the one on one conversation with the client. I said, well, he might have been the greatest person in the role that you've experienced him in, but here and I give you three or four examples, and uh, and that client had the um, uh, the um, the stature to to basically say, well, I hear what you're saying, and you know what, it's your business. You're running the business, and uh, I can't blame you uh, on anything that I don't like if I don't give you the freedom to uh, have the people in the business that you need and that you think yeah. are the right persons. But I mean, to your point, um, how many times have we all um, fired someone too late or not promoted the right person? Um, same problem, just the other version. Um, I think nobody is perfect. And, uh, but I think um, the more people reflect on these uh, questions, the, the better it will get. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think actually, the piece that um, sort of saves has saved me is not making those decisions on your own. And actually, you know, when you've got a great strong management team, it's unless it's one of the management team, which is very difficult. Um, you know, actually having those conversations, being really focused on how you can, you know, those four quadrants are great, you know, what you can do to help people and, and where we really need to be brutal and, and have those difficult conversations. Yeah, and, and uh, the hardest thing is to distinguish the noise from the signals. What's like corporate noise, because there's always somebody talking about someone somewhere, um, and what's real, where's the real issue? And uh, I think what helped us a lot, and I think that's so important for for any company and for startups uh, uh, especially, is when we set up then a proper HR department. I mean, at the beginning it was a, yeah. it was an HR department that was 
administrative, basically making sure payroll is happening and so on and so forth. But when we we, we brought in uh, Ellie McManus for uh, to, to become our first global HR director, she changed the game significantly and and uh, brought a lot of in initiatives. And, and we already had a a great system of uh, employee evaluations, like quarterly evaluations, which was very um, strong. Um, and but and initially we were like, okay, we need a different evaluation for the for the art uh, art directors compared to the account people, compared to the accountants, and so on and so forth. Until we realized that at the end of the day, what we wanted to achieve was adherence to our values and, and uh, adherence to where we want to go as a business. Mm -hmm. So we actually uh, um, merged everything into one. Um, evaluation and that form or that structure was basically geared towards our values. So every question was related to the values of the company. And so once a quarter, you had this conversation with your um, team leader about uh, how you've done over the last three months on the Be Bold, Be Brave, Be Honest uh, values and what the objectives for the next three months were. were. Mm -hmm. And we kept those three months uh, for a long, long time, because uh, it was actually a good frequency that allowed people to remember what they talked about last time. Because, I mean, you forget you have this conversation yeah, once busy. a year. What yeah. was that? Did we ever talk? I know. And actually, I, I completely agree. It's really interesting for me. Um, I hate that we didn't really have anyone. Um, again, you know, as you say, it's a sort of processing job. Um, at Oyster Catchers, I bought in an HR person, but too late. You know, I'd had, and, and actually with, with Let's Reset, a very small young company, um, we have a brilliant lady called Jo Cooper who doesn't work with us full time, obviously, but she's um, ex-John Lewis, so absolutely understands culture, the kind of values that we've got. And her role is as much to make every new person that comes on be as brilliant as they possibly can. And I think one of the things in my mind is when you've got this sort of start scale up kind of environment, that the, the jump between the top and, and the most junior person isn't very far. No. So it's quite, it, in many ways, it's brilliant and liberating and fabulous. But it's also quite intimidating. And I think having that external voice who can come in and go, you know, really what's happening here? Are you able to, how are you living these values? Do you want to shout about some stuff? Do you want to have a conversation about some things? Because it helps everyone in the business perform better. And it's yeah. brilliant for, for me and Helen to have somebody who's very comfortable in saying, do you know what? Maybe this is not as good as you can be, or maybe this is some stuff you could be thinking about. Because however open and honest you are, it's hard to have those conversations yeah. with the founders of a business that are massively passionate and trying to move stuff at a pace. Yes, and 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 when the business grows and you and, and there's all of a sudden layers um, between those people and yourself. Um, I mean, in the beginning, you notice everything because you are there and you you, you just see it and you hear it and you feel it. And the, the larger it grows, you don't. And so um, I think one of the uh, one of the, the, the most important things that I learned from Steve was uh, he was always like when, when he was walking around, he was always picking one or two people in the agency always and always different people and just involved them in a chat on anything. And, and but, but obviously that chat evolved into something. Um, and so he always had a good, very good understanding of what was happening inside uh, inside an agency. And I always found that very useful. And, and uh, definitely, definitely. And then we've seen that, haven't we? I think in the last couple of years, we've talked. I've talked about it so much on my podcast the changing role of the HR person, um, the kind of expertise that they now need, the skills that they need. They're so different. And I think you know, for you at Spot Forty Four, bringing somebody in like that. It, you know, it's, it's a lot of, um, of good agencies now have an HR function, but it was quite unusual then. And I still see now lots of smaller agencies don't have it. And uh, I see a lot if, on scale ups, they just don't, you don't need to have somebody full time, just have somebody who's amazing, that's senior enough to be part of the conversation, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the most important part, important part, and that that's whether it's an agency or any any kind of corp yeah. corporation. I think the the role of HR is, is is changing massively and has to change massively because 
um, they have to be an advisor to, to senior management. And that means they have to speak the language. And that is often not so easy for them. So when you're running a company, obviously you think, well, that should be easy for, for everyone. But you figure out on the way that it isn't. And, and training people to make sure that HR leaders can, well, package their messages to the CEO and the CFO in a way that they are really heard is, 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 is a gift, actually. I agree. And I think, you know, actually a lot of our work, listening to you, I'm reflecting a lot of our work is about helping those HRs have conversations internally because it's a skill they haven't perhaps had to do before. They believe very passionately in the kind of work I know that you do, that I'm that we're doing. Um, but it's hard getting the rest of the organization behind it if they're a lone voice. And yes. you know, so I think it's a really critical part of, of what we have to do to be able to have the kind of conversations that we need to have. Um, Ralph, we're running out of time. It's so lovely to talk to you again. If you had one top tip for um, you know, entrepreneurs that were creating their businesses, developing their businesses beyond the scale up, what would it be? Make sure that when you when you grow, you spend enough time with the people that actually take responsibility from you so that they can carry the flame. Uh, because that, that's the part where it often breaks and um, uh, delegate responsibility fast, but make sure that the responsibility is carried the way that you envisaged it. And, uh, and if, if it needs to change, learn about it. But don't wake up one morning and come to the company and say, well, this is no longer my company. I think you've got to watch this out. And this is really, really critical when you grow. Yeah, that's such wise words. It's the most difficult thing, I think, yeah. uh, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur to let go in power, but not just walk away. Yes. And I think if you can get that right, that, that is the way that you scale up you know, and, and do all those things that we've just been talking about for the last uh, 45 minutes. Ralph, I can't wait to talk to you and Adrian um, at the Power Up Festival on May the 19th. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Good luck with the book. Thank um, you. We'll have some there on the day, I think. So we can, if there's people that want to buy them, that'd be fab. Um, and we'll have them on the Let's Reset Plus app. So uh, anyone who wants to, to try and get a link to it, that would be great. Um, thank you very much, Ralph. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. My pleasure. Thank you very Thank much you. for having me. See you bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends, and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network. <laughs>